Welcome to yet another podcast. I'm going to let's do that again. Okay. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, we are back. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's it's great to be together, is it not, Mark? It is. Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually have a guest with us today, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, fantastic. And of course, joining us from far across the country via the marvels of modern technology, our uh, co-host from the West Coast, Mr. Aaron Porter. Hey, Aaron. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, Mr. Excitement today. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm... I, I, I'm feeling energized here. I mean, the sun is shining. I'm, 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 uh, I'm looking at uh, Mark's newly shaved, bald head, his bl- shining face over here. Uh, it just seems like a good day in Middle Tennessee. It does, and I'm sure it's a good day uh, where Aaron is as well. Yeah. That's what you guys do on good days? Seems like a good day. Somebody come shave my head. Bick me, baby. Bick me. <laughs> well, you, you have hair. You know, like uh, Tony Campolo once said, hey, if you want to use your testosterone to, uh, uh, you know, grow hair, that's fine. I've got another use for it, and it's much more fun. <laughs> oh, my. That sounds like a Tony yeah, Campolo. I, I believe he would also throw in the, the, they only put marble tops on expensive furniture. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, yeah, there's plenty yeah. of room for you to go on that one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Has, has summer started for you guys? Schools? Kids? It's all begun, or yeah, yeah. I mean, school's school? out. Uh, I don't know about kids, but I know grandkids are hanging around my house a lot mm. these days, playing on the new uh, playset. We've had already, we've already had a big birthday party with another one coming up. Oof. Uh, yeah, the spas are working. Oh, so. nice. Yes. Yeah, and we'll I, I, I saw looking at the uh, extended forecast here, we're we're, we're going to hit triple digits in the temperatures here before the week is out. It also looks like the weather's going to be fantastic August 19 through 21. Did you hear Mark's transition? Mark's transition was great. He said the weather is going to be great. The extended forecast says it's going to be fantastic weather in Colorado on the 19th through the 21st of August. And why would we care about that? Well, registration is open right now for the After the Miracle weekend, the Samson Society National Retreat at uh, Bear Trap Ranch in Colorado. So come to PirateMonkPodcast.com. Click on the link for the retreat. Check it out. Register today. Uh, I can't tell you the the amount of stuff that you're going to get for uh, the price of the price of admission. It's going to be an amazing retreat. We have room for 54 guys. So uh, those seats uh, or beds or places at the excellent meal table, however you want to say it, those places are going to go fast. So please uh, come to PirateMonkPodcast.com right now and click on uh, the link for the retreat, the After the Miracle event, and sign up today. Wow. I mean, you, you aren't actually serious about an extended forecast going that far into the mountains of Colorado. You just, I need to know you're lying because that's not possible, right? Well, you know, I, I lived in Colorado for a while, and the, the rule there is if you don't like the weather, right. wait 15 minutes. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, then I, I guess you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, Aaron, you're 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 coming you're coming to the retreat. But are you? Do I understand you're going to drive rather than fly? Is that the plan? Yeah, because why not? 
It's only Colorado, and I have kids that would like to be in a car and drive up through Utah and camp along the way and drive back through Arizona, and I just have to call Bear Trap uh, Ranch and see if they can pitch their tent somewhere on the property while we retreat. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I, I will be there with three sons. Uh, the girls will stay here. Okay. Uh, I have a better shot at peace and harmony without six of us in a van for 2,000 miles no way. Is that each way? It's a long. It's a long drive. Epic Plus, road I can trip. fit more camping. I can fit more camping stuff in if I can put the back seats down. So really, I I do wish that the girls could come with us, and I am aware that life will be easier without them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with those thoughts. I feel a little bad about it. Not really, but that's the way it's going to be. Aaron, does this take you back to uh, childhood? Did your dad take you and your sister off on camping weekends? Did you do road trips? <laughs> Oh, well, my dad was a teacher, yeah. and so we had awesome chunks of time. So we would camp once a month, no matter what, year-round with our church group. Yeah, There would be between 20 and 60 people in our church that would camp within two hours of where I live now Yeah, every month. And But yeah, he would... We would camp for three weeks at a time at Lake Tahoe up in the mountains, oh. and then one summer he bought like a '55 Chevy motorhome without air conditioning. So he said, "I won't, I won't drive you to the south with air conditioning because you'll never get out, and we're here to experience the country." Yeah. So we had this old motorhome, and we just drove for two months around the country. Uh, we made it as far as New York City and turned around. Amazing. So yeah, this. How about you, this Mark? Is, Did you do <laughs> this? Uh... Does bring up. Did you do childhood camping? Well, I, I was a member of the Boy Scouts, and ah. so I've camped. I uh, think over 130 nights total uh, as a scout, and I don't and haven't done much camping since then. Uh-huh. And then summers for us, I'll always remember the summers of 1976 and 1977 because my dad decided that he wanted to take the epic summer road trip vacations. And so in 76, he thought he was the wisest man on the planet. Everybody is going to be going to the 13 original colonies to celebrate the bicentennial of the U.S. Uh-huh. So we won't go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> and Virginia and all this stuff. We'll go to California. Uh-huh. Well, I think well, on ha- halfway through the trip, my dad realized I think everybody had the same idea and went to California that year. And then we went to D.C. and did Appomattox Courthouse and sure. did the Civil War Trail and and I got my my my, my tri hat, you know, my, my three pointed hat. Tri- and that's right. Yeah. Played in a fife and drum corps and all that stuff in 1977 in Williamsburg, and it was it was great. So those two summers loom large in all of history for epic road trips. Okay. Very very nice. All right. I, well, suddenly I feel terribly deprived. I don't have <laughs> I don't have a single family camping member. What? Of course, seriously. That was the oldest of ten kids, and my dad was a, you know, we did we just didn't do it. So, uh, but ever since then, I mean, I am a sucker for the road trip. I love nothing more than to get in the car, especially if I can go with two or three buddies or with Allie and just head out without a specific plan. So I'm rethinking. I've bought my plane tickets to Colorado already, but I kind of wish I was driving. I really do. That would, that, that would have been fun. All right. Well, well uh, you give your plane ticket away. You can dress somebody else up like you. Uh huh. <laughs> Get in the car, Nate. Come on, road dog. <laughs> yeah, you're you're gonna transition because we're uh, we've got a guest waiting 
in the wings, and we want to bring him out because he's a guy that we've known for a long time. So okay, you, you finish that transition before I interrupted you. No, no, that's fine. That that, that we were gonna we were gonna uh, segue into it uh, on one of my road trips. That let's do that through California, traveling Ooh. with uh, traveling with. I think on that trip I was with Scott. No, I, Allie was along, and we had uh, Daniel Rasm along, and I got to hang with the pirate monks. I've been out there a few times with the pastor pirates in San Luis Obispo. That's where I met uh, our next guest. So uh, when we come back, you'll get to meet him too. Hang with us. We'll be back in a minute here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Trailer for sale or rent. Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes Ah, but two hours of pushing broom Buys a 8 by 12 four-bit room I'm a man of means by no means King of the road Third boxcar, midnight train, destination banger, main, wool worn out suit and shoes. I don't pay no union dues, I smoke wool stogies I have found, short but not too big around. I'm a man of means by no means, king of the road. I know every engineer on every train All of the children and all of their names And every handout in every town And every lock that ain't locked when no one's around I sing trailers for sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Got no cigarettes, uh, but two hours of pushing broom buys a eight by twelve four bedroom. I'm a man of means by no means, king of the road. Trailers for sale rent, rooms to let fifty cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. I ain't got no cigarettes, but two hours. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And Aaron has brought a guest, a fellow that I met years ago, I believe, when I, on one of my trips through the central coast of California. Aaron, why don't you introduce our guest today? Yeah, I would love to. We have here in Studio A in California. Uh, Mr. Pastor Reverend Dr. Robert Campbell, who was a part of our Pastor Pirate group for a lot of years in San Luis Obispo, uh, which was soon after he moved to town, right? It wasn't too long after that. Um, I'm going to take one ear out, then I can hear you better. I realize you're in the same room as me, and I can barely even hear what you're saying. Uh, And we met at a prayer lunch or pre-lunch. It wasn't a lunch. There was no food. So I'm sure you remember that story. I, I found Robert interesting. A prayer so fast. go ahead. You tell that story. <laughs> well, I just consider myself one of Aaron's strays. 
I just consider myself one of Aaron's strays. Uh, it, he, there's a whole lot of us who have been. Right. He picks us up for a while, takes care of us, and sends us out back on our own is what it is. <laughs> so we, we had lunch, but I was still, I was still being testy because I thought, I thought that I liked this guy, and I remember just thinking, well, I'll invite him to lunch and say a couple things that are entirely inappropriate and just see what reaction I get. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. That's actually a good way to describe most of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, but it's pretty awesome because Robert had come from the big city where he had spent most of his life mm-hmm. in, well, all of your life in, in Southern California. California. You, yeah. You grew up yeah. there, you went to school there. Uh, so, moving from Los Angeles to a place called Santa Margarita. Amazing. And this is, what's the population out there in Santa Margarita? Uh, Santa Margarita has just under 1,200 folks in the village reserve. And most people don't even have a village reserve. That's right. <laughs> so, so there are outlying areas yeah. that... What that, that means is our, essentially our whole town is what would be a neighborhood in other, any other yeah. suburban context. And then we're entirely surrounded by ranch land eight miles before there's another town in either direction. So it makes for a very unique context. Uh, from, from my situation, the, the, the entire town of Santa Margarita could fit in the church I served in in Southern California. Wow. So it was, yep. a ra- it was a radical change as far as that goes. So walk us through that. Before we get to, to what you wrote down, because I think that is the, the relevant story, mm-hmm. how did you go from being pastor in a big church in Southern California to, oh, yeah, let's move to this, this village reserve? Yeah. Uh, the short part of the story is someone asked me, right? But the long part of the story is that through, uh, through my own experiences uh, in, in education— and in experiences in serving the community in Southern California, a suburban community, I, I was taught by folks there to start to start being placed, uh, to realize that there's a difference between just applying tactics and principles and living with the real people in the real place that I'm at. So I fell in love with the idea of community. So when some I was asked to consider coming to a small place where community was a real possibility in a whole new way, I was absolutely thrilled with it. But then, of course, you come to a real place with entirely fictitious ideas of what community looks like. Okay, wait, I wonder what those ideas were. Coming from Los Angeles, boy, to the country. Right, well, you've got these ideal pictures of... Uh, of neighbors loving neighbors, of hanging out over the fence, and, you know, these kinds of things. And when you get there, you find out that everybody's as screwed up as you are. (laughs) And in a a small town, you have a much better idea of how people are screwed up because you're closer at hand, right? If someone's a liar, you know that they're a liar. Which kind of ups some of the drama. There's just less places to hide. Well, I'm sure I'm glad I don't live in a community like that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, there are no places to hide. Yeah, yeah, the the there are no places to hide. All right, so you came, and mm-hmm. were those things happy delusions that were burst, or was it more scary to discover it was different, or what was what was that transition for you and your family, especially your wife? Yeah, yeah. Then there's the question, right? Um, well, the initial part of uh, of visiting was terrifying. It, it was both beautiful and terrifying. And there's so many things that look magnificent, but we could see what it would take and what it would cost. So we had to go back to Southern California and face those costs and ask ourselves if we were willing to pay them 
for the potential of what could come by a real community. And having determined we would, it has been far better than I could have ever imagined. I don't think if we had faced those ahead of time, it would have been, though, honestly. So what has been better than you could have imagined? Well, I guess now we're kind of getting more into the book part here. So maybe do we want to jump to that sooner? Are there more transitions that you want to touch on before we get to that question? Because I think that's an important question for those that are afraid of what serving and being in community that is honest and yeah. Um, I I think that's the the key piece was us having been aware of what we were afraid of and being a little bit aware of what it would really be. Um, If we hadn't done that, the disappointments and and the failed expectations would have, would have led us away. Mm. Right. So we, we, by the time we moved into Santa Margarita, we were in love with what we would find. So it was like turning over new rocks Every day, you know, going into the post office because we don't have mail delivery, going to the post <laughs> office and I walk in and the postmistress looks at me and says, you must be the new pastor, right? Uh, totally new experiences, but we've been there eight years now and, and we're still giddy about it. The whole lot of us, the whole family. It's wonderful, but I think we had to, we had to battle the fears and knock down some false expectations first, or else we would have done that live, right? right? And people would have been hurt by it as well as we would. So, Nate, I'm just I'm thinking about our weekend coming up in August, and uh, how false expectations yeah. uh, can really wreck you in real time. And I'm wondering if there's so many fears for for people coming, trying to come into community when they realize, ah, oh, I need community but I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if someone's to say, hey, help me find where my unrealistic expectations are so when I'm disappointed, I'm not completely surprised. Yeah. What is there? Is there any chance on that front? Uh, you know, I, you know, you know, I do see some folks, for example, see some guys walking into Samson meetings uh, and they sense... Uh, within that first 30 minutes that this is a safer place to be honest than they've ever found before. And they sense real brotherhood in the room. And uh, and I get the idea that for some of those guys, they may have the idea that they've just found the perfect community. And uh, I do my best to kind of disabuse them of that idea early on. We found mm-hmm. good guys, but we found broken guys. And you can't put a bunch of broken guys in a room and create a perfect community. Um, there are still going to be uh, there are going to be letdowns. There's no perfect Silas. Uh, there are days when nobody's mm-hmm. going to pick up the phone. Uh, right. And uh, we so we we've got to be realistic in order to stay engaged. It's interesting. There's also maybe. A piece of this that Robert, you know, you said you came and visited, you yeah. tested the waters, you yeah. found, you had the conversations that gave you more of a realistic view. Mm-hmm. And I think the people, when they come to a Samson meeting, uh, is this true, Nate? P- 
people are kind of looking for that silver bullet solution. So they want to, once they find it, be all in right. before they even know what that looks like. Right. And maybe it's okay to say, I'm going to I'm going to come, I'm going to commit to making to coming for four or eight meetings, right. knowing that there's going to be disappointment in at least two or three. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, when we were first when we were first transitioning to a small town, we had a handful of conversations with folks about those same ideas. Um, when I realized there's three, five, seven generation families that we were talking to, oh, whoa, right? I'm never going to be part of that yeah. ever. I can't, not in my lifetime. Um, and then I, one of the families said, yeah, we're new here, 33 years, right? Um, <laughs> it's it's that kind of place. So understanding that made a difference in the way that we we approached, right? We, we were welcomed. We were guests. We were coming in not as people with the solutions or as it's a quick thing, but realize to come into community takes a long darn time, right? Yeah. You can't be part of a community in a meeting. I don't even think you could be part of a church in less than a year, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's possible. Yeah. You make that point in the book. It's a very good point. Yeah. Which is why there has to be those other contact points, the meetings after the meetings, the things that aren't the meetings. Absolutely. Yeah. Or else... It'll just take that much longer. Right. So in a, in a small town, and I think these things happen elsewhere as well, and my hope in writing about them as they happen in a small town is they become examples and now our eyes open to look for them, right? But in a small town, to go to the post office takes two hours because of the conversations that take place on the way in, on the way out, while you're in there, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that is a whole bunch of what... We call in, in Samson society the meeting after the meeting, right? right? Most of life is the meeting after the meeting in a small town. Oh, but that's realistically, good. most of life is anyway, right? Right. If it's on purpose, it's that's all right. the meeting after the meeting. It is actually, absolutely, right? Yeah. So, what made you? What inspired you? Because we've talked about different things you wanted to write. It it tickled me no end yeah. when I saw this pop up, I think, first on Facebook, and then yeah. I saw your note afterwards and went, oh, I think that was in the reverse order of what you intended. That's right. But uh, what uh, I've heard your different ideas, and you landed on this, which seems to be kind of the culmination of a number of those ideas. So what yeah. was what was your hope in writing this, and what was the process? Uh, process of writing, uh, You Are There is a book we're talking about. It's uh, Restoring Churches, People, and Places. It's intended to inspire uh, Christian people to live whole life discipleship, Sorry, right? That was that was my job. The book is yeah. You Are There, Restoring Christian <laughs> Churches, People, and Places yeah. by Robert Campbell, and it was intended to... It, that's right. <laughs> it, a whole life discipleship. And I like to say uh, all the way down to the dirt, right? Um, it, it was a long, slow process that came from a handful of speaking opportunities. Uh, the last large one at uh, Biola University's Creation Stewardship Week. And I get to go down in that context and speak to that group and attempt to say... How do you live as placed people? Uh, and it it inspired so much in me and, of course, brought up a thousand stories of my experience in Santa Margarita because I'm living it every day. And my eyes began to be open in a new way to what has happened to me, what, what the what being in a limited place with a group of people, how it has shaped my life as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. I'm different now because of it. Not just because of the church, but because of the place itself. Right. right. And so those opportunities led to an open door to write the book, 
And the writing of the book has been in the same way transformative because you, you see the line a little more clearly after you put it down. There's, right. such, there's such a countercultural deal, what you're saying, though. You're talking about all the blessings that have come and the lessons to be learned from limited opportunities, yet yeah. we live in a culture mm-hmm. in the church and out of the church that's always about, well, you're here, Robert, but mm-hmm. you're it's getting bigger, right? It's mm-hmm. getting more. It's getting greater, to which most of history for most people is, this is where God has placed you. This is where you will work. This is where you will die. That's right. And but that's just such not that's not an American idea. No. We're supposed to be greater than our fathers were. Mm-hmm. How does that work against what you're trying to articulate, or is that the, a core that you're trying to knock down with this? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. One, I'm not much of a knockdowner, right? That doesn't fit me. I, I'm not much of an activist. I'm not much of a knockdowner, um, but I do firmly believe in dreaming small, right? Um, <laughs> Because I think we could have deeper, more profound impact by staying in the same place and doing the same thing right, with the same people. There's just something that could happen that way in 20 years that can't happen in five. There's something that could happen in the dirt that I walk on that can't happen virtually, uh, that can't happen by a movement. And if I spent the same time that I would in producing a movement as loving my neighbor... Or in loving my neighbor by helping him out by you know in, in in my town where we're all connected by wells and culverts by making sure that my runoff doesn't pollute their water I mean, and all of these things, that's an actual profound difference in a day. Right? It, it's real. It, it, these these are the things that have have come to real realization for me. Like I said, so the small has changed me as well as. Let, people in place. Let me ask you this question, Robert. If God were to uh, move you tomorrow back to Southern California, and uh, you f- you found yourself and your family planted again in suburbia, uh, how would your experience in San Margarita inform and transform the way you would live uh, in Southern California? What would you do different? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question, it, 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 and it's actually the question I'm getting most frequently from from the book. Mm. How do we do this somewhere else? Right. You know, Santa Margarita sounds ideal. It sounds like Mayberry, right? In some ways it is, and in some ways it's just we realize we're screwed up enough to be gracious, right? That, that's right. what. Right. I, um, some of the things, Nate, I think I actually learned in suburbia that I brought to Santa Margarita. Um, I told one story in the book about uh, about the mayor in the in the city of Corona who taught me how to be concerned about what the community was doing, mm-hmm. um, and it was just an accidental participation that I happened to be in the right place to say we can bring volunteers to your event. But it transformed me to realize that I wasn't just doing outreach as a pastor and leading the church in that way, but I but we were serving this community which included that mayor and these students, and it, and it changed the way I looked at it. I think I would go back in the, with the same thing. I would go back in, I would, I, would, uh, I would have a conversation with a group of Christians who live there, and I would say, let's begin to talk and think and look and say, what does our place, our people need from us? Then I would look around to find out who else is doing that, all right, so to me, I'd go to the library and I'd look up on the pinup boards because you've got committees and volunteer groups that are out there everywhere. 
I'd find out who's working with the sheriff's department through the school district, what committees are meeting to help get things done. And the committee to a lot of people is bad news, but that's the, the people that are volunteering to those kind of things. They're the ones who are making good stuff happen in most communities. Mm-hmm. And I'd get involved with yeah. them. No, that right? it, the way you describe the small things mattering, the, the small town idea Mm-hmm. There are people behaving exactly like that as if their lives matter to the community around them in yeah, cities. That's right. It's just, it's that small core group of yeah. people that don't think, that don't imagine that their water and runoff just goes nowhere, but right. it is affecting the things right. around them. That's right. You and the country are just more aware of that. Right. So I found in a, uh, in a suburban town of 135,000, uh, I found that the social goods were primarily happening by a group of a hundred or so people. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. I got involved with those folks. I and I got involved with particular aspects of the things that moved my heart. And it, it, it did. As I said, I think I learned those things there from the people there that I then brought here with open eyes of wanting to see it in Santa Margarita as well. Right. So I think it's those eyes. Uh, and from and then after having joined that participation, Nate, I'd want to find out who else elsewhere has done this well, right? Mm-hmm. Which for me, that my connection with Arasha as a Christian conservation organization has been beneficial. So I had someone ask me from Chicago recently, all right, how do I do these things in a high rise in Chicago? So I connected them with some stories of Arasha in Singapore, who's doing the same things in Singapore high rises, right? Just caring for their place a little bit, connecting their neighbors through the land or through food or through. Right. Which I think your education, why, why don't you spell that? Because there are probably a lot of people that keep going, did I hear him? Ar- oh, right. Arasha? Yeah. What? Arasha is a Portuguese word and I'm certainly not pronouncing it correctly, but it's the way we pronounce it in the U.S. For <laughs> Arasha, A-R-O-C-H-A, is a Christian conservation organization. It's in uh, 20 countries, started in Portugal, headquartered in the U.K. We're in uh, 20 countries, five continents, got 30 years of experience. So what I found in connecting to this group has that everything I want to do, someone's done before. We should know that already, right? <laughs> we should. Yeah, but um, it's been a beneficial resource for everything we've wanted to do. And, uh, and the book has come about in partnership with, with them right. as well. Is it, seeing how you've grown in this watching you grow in your involvement with Arasha and how that's impacted you, especially mm-hmm. as a rural pastor in yeah. a community with one church. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I don't hope there will never be another church in Santa Margarita, but it just fits that there would just be one community church yeah. there. Um, it, I think of Jesus. Well, not just Jesus as the storyteller, but God as the great storyteller, mm-hmm. as he gives us a narrative even through the Old Testament. And how it is this agricultural agrarian setting for so much of what God wants us to understand about our relationship with him and our relationship mm-hmm. to one another. Uh, how how does a people, and I, I think for me that's so much about God wanting us to be in the cycle of seasons that are completely dependent on him. Yeah. And that happens beautifully in farming. You're just stuck. Uh, if you didn't get rain, you can't, you know, buy some bottles of water. That's right. It's just up to God. And there's something about the urban uh, story that is, oh, we can make, it's the Tower of Babel. We mm-hmm. can do this ourselves. And God says, yeah, and that'll be unfortunate for you. And my idea will be to break this up. Mm-hmm. So how does that 
you being a very philosophical and thoughtful person, how does God's country narrative fit into what's been growing in your heart over the last eight years? Hmm. It's a good question. And and I think it pushes something back for me that's, that's important. Um, I didn't write a book particularly so people would care about creation, though I hope that's the result, right? I wrote this because I have come to a place of realizing that starting with God, who is the creator of all things, owns and sustains all things and is taking all all things towards his intended end, which will be that restored new heavens, new earth, that living within this story changes the way I live in my place, right? And the fact that it is so agricultural in some ways, the story, I mean, makes it easier to live in my place than it may in a city in some ways. Um, and so for me, just the, the, the narratives are, are, are turnkey, right? Um, I could talk to our kids about gardens, right? It's easy to say, you know, Adam disobeyed in his garden, and Jesus obeyed in his, and one day we'll be with him in the third one, right? Um, because they know what a garden looks like, right? So that helps. I, I don't think that means that the people in the urban setting can't get those. But there is a big difference between the picture of a tree and a tree, right? So I think the there's something we gain from that. I'm Am I just, getting at what you're going at? You're, yeah. You've got the look like you want to go further with it. Okay. Yeah, I just, I wonder even what's in... Obviously, uh, cities were not a mistake that slipped by God, where he's like, yeah. oh no, cities happened. Mm-hmm. This is destructive to my entire yeah. narrative. Mm-hmm. Now, we're headed toward a city. That's right. A city not built with hands, eternal right. in the heavens. That's right. <laughs> Good. There, there you go. Right. Uh, well, but, it's been said, right, that what began in a garden ends in a garden city, right? I, I think yeah. that's a great way to say it, and I'm quoting someone and don't remember who, but um, not my line. But that's absolutely right. I, I, there, it is fully possible to be neighbors in a city, but it's not possible to be neighbors with 130,000 people. That's just not, that's just not humanly possible. Yeah. You got to bring your scope. You have to create community that isn't just naturally there. Scale matters, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So scale matters. So what we gain in a small town that lose in suburbia is that suburbia has scale. And also with the way it's designed, it's for an automobile. And so your friends and kids' friends don't tend to be the ones next door. So for the people that are going to pick this book up, and I mean, I I see this, uh, what you've written down, through the pastor lens and what it means to pastors. Mm -hmm. But for non-pastors, for just the people that are listening to this podcast, what would be your greatest hope that they would see differently about the world and understand that they can do with their lives? Yeah, right. I hope about the world. I hope that they see that where they are is a gift to them. That the limitations of their place, the limitations of their neighbor's, are actual gifts of God. We often see those as our obstacles or our crosses to bear. No, Mm -hmm. they're not. They're gifts of God. Change the way you look. Walk out of your door giddy with the gifts that God has given you today. No matter what walking out your door looks like. Right. Right? I mean, mean, uh, Santa Margarita, like I said, there's there's an easy way to idealize it from the stories that it's like Mayberry. 
It's not. We don't have sidewalks, right? We've got culverts in front. It's it's golden this time of year instead of green. You know, it's it's not ideal. But it's real. To me, that is that's huge, right? See them as gifts of God, the people and the place, every bit of it. And I think that transforms then the way we interact right away. I'm going to act towards a gift differently than I am towards a resource or a pain, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's huge, right? I, I, I would hope that any believer who reads it would partner with this same mentality with their local church. To, to not be in a local church as a believer is to cut yourself off from the community that God has died to create and that binds us together with by the Spirit. So, I mean, that's, that's like step one. Um, I like Eugene Peterson's phrase where I heard him say it in a lecture, so I don't know, I have a quote spot for it, where he said, go to the closest church you can walk to and learn to love the sinners there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I think what happens is um, that, our, that our partnering through the local church becomes something that's transformative, that starts to work in by our day-to-day care of both the people in the place, it could be ecological, it could be social, um, kind of good, restored means, right? You know, good fruit, we can call it biblically, comes about in the lives of our neighbors. If something is actually happening in me, there should be a benefit and a blessing to my wife and kids, to my neighbors and to my community, right? Yeah. Right? So I should see consequences of the action that comes from my belief in all of them, right? And in fact, if I don't, Right. If I'm not seeing blessing in my community or my wife, then I go back and say, what are my actions and what is the heart and the gospel belief in those actions? Right. Because to love a people in a place starts first with me loving God who owns and created the people in place. Starts with me, then goes to me repenting of my failure to love the people in the place. You know, learning to worship this God and love the people in place that he's given me. This then is what puts them back together and also restores me in the process. How have you seen your people engaging that and growing in that in the last eight years? I was fortunate enough to join people whose hearts were right there, right ready. Um, They were already in so many different places around the community, just serving and doing good. But what they didn't always realize was the way that fit into the overall picture and mission. Right, so part of my responsibility came to be going, that right there, that cup of cold water, that was in Jesus' name. That's what we call greatness right there. Yeah. So that was my pastoral task. Okay. And that's, how do people learn that if they don't have a person showing them really clearly? How do they start to get a sense of the greatness of small things in their life? Because I, I imagine... I can just picture certain people that are listening right now that are doing amazing kingdom work and they are missing out on the joy that they're actually (laughs) engaging it. I I don't know how to answer the question because my, my heart breaks when you say it. Because my answer is they need a pastor. I mean, where the heck's their pastor? pastors, any pastors listening, we need to be the ones to go, that's the work of Jesus, church. You right there doing that, that's what, bless you. That's fruit. 
That's kingdom work, right? That's it. If we're not doing that, then what are we doing? Yeah. It's a great question. I hope you don't want me to answer it. Because <laughs> Nate, that question's for you. If we're not doing it, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I've got a couple of questions. Uh, I'm thinking about children. It's one thing for adults to, you know, make neighbors and and to work on that. But how would you encourage us to uh, you to involve our children in the same process? Thank you. In Santa Margarita, we we're small enough that children aren't secluded off most of the time, right? Um, so we're dragging them along. If we're if we're loving our neighbors, we're bringing our kids along. If we're going to the pub, they're sitting on the other side of the fence where it's legal for them to sit, right? Um, now, my kids are both teenagers now, but... So you can sneak them inside so you can the sneak pub. Them in. Yeah, my son's 6'1", six, <laughs> six right? And so, right. Um, but I, I think this is the biggest. I, I mean, the, our kids learn to serve by serving with us. Yeah, our kids learn to love by loving with us. Uh, I'll... I'll uh, there have been times where my kids have gone with me to the hospital to visit folks. They absolutely have frequently been with me in the dirt, cleaning the creek or pulling weeds. Or I think this is the way they learn it, by seeing it. Then we do, at times, point out, okay, we did that because, right? We went and visited that widow because God loves the widows, right? So that pointing out, again, it's a... It's a fatherly, it's a parenting practice, it's a pastoral practice, but I think the, this is first, is that I take them along, right? Yeah. We take them along. The, the principle in there that's, uh, that I think parents do naturally, but unconsciously, and so it's easy to forget, is taking them on the action uh, or giving them an opportunity to do something, even mm-hmm. if it's sending them with a youth group on a mission trip or whatever, that's great, but until you as a parent interpret what it means, they're left to their own interpretation, and they don't have enough experience or wisdom, perhaps, to come up with the right conclusion, yep. which is really what, Robert, you're saying the pastor's job is for the church, is right. what the parent's job is for the parent, sure. for the and child. It, and what you're describing is, I, I can be a little feisty, is that all right? I mean, Yeah, yeah you oh, get feisty. I, it's, it's so many books, so many blogs so many professional Christian CDs, right? It's it's the children with nobody having interpreted it for them. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so we start to do things and act, act as if our acts and justice and good works are the gospel. Right? And no one has pushed it back to the God who himself is the good creator of all things with a beautiful intended restored end. Right? No one has put it within the context for them and up to see. No, that's good fruit. It's a good thing. It is the cup of cold water, but it's not gospel. And unless the cup of cold water gets back to gospel, you just have people whose thirst was quenched. You don't have restoration going on. And who will thirst again. Yeah. Mark, that was question one. You had a few questions. (laughs) I should have been more specific and said two. And so let, let's go ahead and assume that the number one thing for a pastor to do, because we talked about what pastors can do, is to actually become a neighbor himself and work mm-hmm. with his wife to to actually be a neighbor, and that, that will certainly inform his life. But we've got pastors who listen to us who are in the middle of sermon prep, 
and they're getting ready to challenge the folks in their congregation this week with a, with a number of things. Mm-hmm. What 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 are one or two things or one or two, let me ask it this way: What are one or two questions that that pastor can ask himself as he's doing sermon prep that will move him and help him move his congregation to think this way uh, more readily? A question I like to ask is with every sermon: Is what's the story here? It's a question I was given by a professor of mine at Trinity Western University. Um, and what's the story here? So I'm going to ask in the in the biblical passage in front of me, what's going on with the humans? If 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 this was a, a setting and the curtain open on this open on the stage, who's on stage and what do the backdrops look like, right? But what that does for me is it allows me to humanize this a little bit more, and say, now what if I put that in Santa Margarita, right? So I'm at, by asking this question, this is an important one. This what's the story? From there, I ask another question, and it's, what's the difference? So once we've kind of got that story to where the point and principle becomes clear for my congregation, I'm going to say, ask, what What do I think would happen in me and through me if this was the case? Like I said, so uh, if I believed this or obeyed it, depending on what the passage was aiming at, what would it look like in my life? And then what would that fruit of that in my life look like in my wife Julie's life or in Aaron's life or in my neighbors, you know, Dave and Lori, right? What would it look like in their lives? What would it look like? So I'm asking these practical questions so that I can pre-think some of this for the congregation, right? And, and not using myself as the example, but I might I might use someone else. I might use our congregational effort uh, as an example, but I'm going to continue to ask those two kinds of questions so that it comes out of out of a, a simple teaching of content to a real human circumstance. The difference, the potential difference, are often the things that inspire us to actually act. I want that to happen, right? There's, a, there's another part that comes up for me, and I think it's a, it's a hard thing to say because I think as pastors we assume it's already there. But before sitting down to think, okay, I'm going to write this message for these people, the, the real question I wonder about myself is, do I love these people more than I love this message that I'm working on? Like It was within what, what you said, <clears throat> that there's this, this hope mm-hmm. that you have that this will actually matter in their lives yeah. because of how you care about them. And I have certainly been in ruts and routines where it's just about the message is yeah. the message good yeah. is the message true mm-hmm. well then it's enough yeah well, i guess yeah <laughs> not but right it, the way that comes out in me is i find myself every now and then getting frustrated and kind of pulling at my hair and saying they're not going to care about this right they're not going to care and i realize that there's something there that that i have not yet made that move to all right but I love them. How do I bring this to my congregation in such a way that it will bring about the hope, the challenge, whatever the passages needs to bring about to them? Uh-huh. Um, for me, a, a, a sermon, so we're talking about that context, is a live event. To listen to it recorded is, I'm, I'm going for the people right in front of me. This is for them. I'm looking at faces. I'm in love, right? Yeah. Have you ever been preaching and aware that 
this is really important for me to say now, but nobody's going to understand this in three months listening to it recorded. Yeah, absolutely. I hate that right. thought. Well, um, but that, that, that's all right. I mean, uh, we, we all should know if we're listening to a recorded sermon, we're not listening to the real thing. Yes. Right. It was a live event. It was for those humans. And if it wasn't for those humans, we call that a bad sermon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on oh, one more thing. We've been going a while on this segment. Can, can I do one more, guys? Sure. Go ahead. Uh I love that you're talking about the blessings of limitations. In a lot of ways, it narrows our focus. It makes it possible that we can become really amazing within the context of our limitations. What I have learned in the last few years, especially working with a team of pastors, is that I myself am the limitation. Mm-hmm. I am limited. That's right. I am no good at these aspects of life. Right. With other people, mm-hmm. socially, here's what I've got. Yeah. I now really find that to be a blessing because I'm off the hook in my mind for stuff I was mm-hmm. never good at anyway. Right. And I can enjoy the stuff that I am built for and do mm-hmm. well. How does that play into this? And how do people start to accept their own limitations mm-hmm. and stop mm-hmm. thinking, I just need to get better at blank? Or should they just be getting better at blank? I don't know. We seem to think we're supposed to be all things to all people, and that's what that means. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, my struggle's the, the same as yours, and, and so much of the leadership materials for the last decade or so has been, you know, here's how you improve that weakness, right? Um, that's only gone so, gone so far for me. And in a small context, your weaknesses are obvious, right? There became has become a joke in Santa Margarita that Robert can make things happen, but he can't get things done. Right, uh, huh? and it, but it's a it's a perfect example, you know, because I could be walking down the street and gather people together, and we've got something happening. But if there's like, if there's a list of things that have to happen to get it done the next day, I won't. Yeah. So my inabilities in those areas have become obvious. Um, they were to me, they become obvious enough to be a joke. But what? Okay, now what? Right. And doesn't that? Maybe this is the encouragement to myself, and it can go outward as it will. My All the holes of weaknesses that I have that are my limitations are simply opportunities for other people to step up and serve and other people to love me well mm-hmm. and force me to humbly accept their love sure. and those limitations. And then we actually become a vulnerable community yeah. uh, because we're not lying about it anymore. That's right. Nice. Yeah, I think so. Good I think show. so. Um, yeah. Well, the book is You Are There. But if you are there, then you would say you are here. But the book is telling you that you are there, restoring churches, people, and places. And it's it's available anywhere. Right? You can go to Amazon and get it. Right. It's available at Amazon. It's avail- available from Whip and Stock uh, website, a little cheaper from the publisher. Right? And if you know me, knock on my door and I've got a copy in. I studied to give you, yeah. <laughs> and if you are in the Central Coast between Los Angeles and San Francisco, yeah. stop by Santa Margarita and grab a pint at Dunbar's yeah. Brewery with Robert. He would be happy to show you around. More than happy, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Look at my heart again Look at the I've got it in I'm 
shame Into your love, into your grace I'm not looking back till I see your face I'm running straight to you Well, plenty there to think about. Uh, what is the place that God's put you in? Why are you there? How connected are you? Or are you still trying to live an overly spiritual, disembodied life? Do you see yourself as part of a community? Hmm? And what are your limitation gifts that you've thought were disabilities? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I really appreciate you bringing that in at the end of the conversation. So we're not, uh, you know, sending ourselves out with... Uh, 
unrealistic expectations and demands. That's really good, Aaron. Well, I'm sure we'll have uh, more to talk about. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for the encouragement. Yeah. Uh, We'll have more to talk about the next time we get together. And uh, one more time before we go, let's remind those listeners who stayed with us that uh, we've got a big weekend coming up in August. August 2016, uh, 19th through 21st of August 2016 at beautiful Bear Trap Ranch in the shadow of Pikes Peak in the Pikes National Forest. Uh, a short one-hour drive from Colorado Springs in Colorado. It's going to be a fantastic time just hanging with other pirate monks and talking about uh, what happens after the miracle. How do we build a quality life once the, uh, the worst part of the insanity is over? And so you can come to piratemonkpodcast.com and register today. Uh, the, the full cost of the retreat uh, so everything, once you get to Bear Trap Ranch, that includes your lodging, your food, all the great teaching, and even most important, all of the interaction you're going to have with, with other men. It's only $200. Uh, so come to PirateMonkPodcast.com, click on the link for the retreat, register today. There's also an opportunity for you to volunteer. Uh, if you live in the Colorado uh, Springs or Denver areas, uh, please sign up for the retreat, pay your registration, and let us know that you're willing to volunteer, and we'll give you more information about that as well. Again, only room for 54 men, so please come. And while you're at PirateMonkPodcast.com, while you're registering for the retreat, after you're done paying and and letting us know you're coming, do two other things. One, check out Robert's book. You'll have a link there uh, uh, as well. You can check out the the book and potentially order that if you're interested. And second of all, leave us a comment or a question. Interact with us. We long to uh, hear from you, hear your stories, uh, and hear what you're facing uh, in your life. Uh, we want you to be a part of this community here on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, I want to throw something else out, Mark, for folks. Uh, you might not be able to come to Colorado, but you might be one of those people that's good at making money. I've met them before, and so maybe you would like to say, I can't be there, but I would like to put... 200 bucks in or 400 bucks in so someone who can't afford to but has the time to can participate in that i would love for us to be able to make a space for people to be generous for one another uh not making any promises but if you're that person then write in and say that you'll do that and we'll put the word out and fill that spot that is that fair can i say that can that's I awesome that? fantastic yeah so uh, drop us a line too if you'd like at pirate monk podcast at gmail.com well, until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Mark. Oh, yeah, I'm Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> We're your pal. I heard my podcast. Oh, Covey and Junior, baby. Preaching recovery.